If you walked around on a bright sunny day in July, you can remember those days. You walked around on a day like that with a lit flashlight in your hand, acting as if you needed it to see. People would probably think you were crazy. Why is that? Very simply, because light only makes a difference where there isn't any. There's plenty of light around on a bright, sunny day in July. If you went down to Westerly Town Beach after Mass this evening with a box, a big box of salt, and you poured the contents of the box into the water saying, the ocean needs this, people would definitely think you were crazy. I certainly would. Why is that? Very simply because salt only makes a difference where there isn't any. As we all know, there's more than enough salt in the water off Westerly Town Beach. Now this may sound obvious to us, and maybe it is in the physical dimension of life, but it's definitely not obvious, my brothers and sisters, in the spiritual dimension. Christians, for example, will listen to the gospel we just heard today where Jesus tells us we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and they'll respond to hearing it by saying, but that's hard. That's very hard. It's not easy for me to be a Christian, to be a light at work, where people are swearing and telling dirty jokes and backstabbing each other every day. It's not easy to resist the temptations my friends throw at me on the weekend, to drink, to cause trouble. It's difficult for me to be patient with my family, to forgive the people who hurt me. They make this complaint as if being light and salt is supposed to be easy. But it's not supposed to be easy, which is precisely the point that Jesus is making by using these images. Light only makes a difference where there isn't any. When Jesus tells us to be light for the world, he's presuming that we're going to be surrounded quite often by darkness, darkness of hate, darkness of unforgiveness, darkness of greed and materialism, the darkness of lust and impurity. He's presuming that we'll face those realities at work, at school, in the church, wherever we happen to be, even in our homes. When he tells us to be salt, he's presuming that we're going to constantly be confronted with, if you pardon the pun, tasteless situations. Situations, in other words, where faith, hope, and love, and truth will not be present. I ask you this evening, why was Mother Teresa considered to be such a brilliant light? It wasn't because she lived in the midst of a lot of saintly people who loved God and one another with a perfect love. She was considered a light because she lived and worked in the midst of darkness. Terrible darkness. Darkness of poverty, darkness of illness, disease, death. Her light made a difference precisely because there wasn't much light around her. Now most of you, if not all of you here tonight, are lay people who live and work in the world. This means you're called to be light and salt in a very unique way. Here we encounter a truth that's not commonly understood by Catholics today. It's one of the biggest reasons why we've had so many of the social problems we've had in our culture in the last half century. Let me read to you now a brief paragraph from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 898 
which quotes a passage from Lumen Gentium, one of the documents of Vatican II. The text says, By reason of their special vocation, it belongs to the laity to seek the kingdom of God by engaging in temporal affairs and directing them according to God's will. It pertains to them in a special way to illuminate and order all temporal things with which they are closely associated, that these may always be affected and grow according to Christ and may be to the glory of the Creator and Redeemer. What does that mean, Father Ray? Well, very simply, that means that as lay people, you are called to be light and salt by bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into the marketplace. That is to say, into the ordinary, mundane situations of daily life. You're not supposed to forget about your faith, in other words, and the principles of your faith when you're at school or at work or at the soccer field. You're supposed to take your faith with you everywhere, such that it influences everything. What you say, what you do, what you think, how you conduct your business, how you treat other people. That's what the Catechism means when it says you are to engage in temporal affairs and direct them according to God's will. Now, as I said a few moments ago, the failure of Catholics to understand this truth is at the root of many of our contemporary social problems. I'll give you one very simple example. Many years ago, I heard a talk by the late Dr. William Morrow, who was a philosophy professor at Fordham University for many, many years. In his talk, Dr. Mara asserted that one of the major reasons that abortion became legal in this country is because the majority of Catholic doctors, nurses, lawyers, judges, and college professors were silent. It was silent on this issue in the years prior to Roe v. Wade when the subject was being debated, hotly debated in our society. Dr. Mara said, if they and other Christians had been lights, in their professional lives, and had stood up for the truth, their witness to life could not have been ignored. Things would have been different. But they chose not to be lights. Consequently, they became another verification of Edmund Burke's famous maxim, all that it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. But let's be clear about it, my brothers and sisters. Some of these lay people failed because their priests failed. The priests failed to be good examples for them, to be lights. They failed to teach them the truth of the gospel concerning the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. You know, there are some Christians today who believe that Jesus calls us to retreat from the world and to ignore the problems, the moral problems, the social problems, the political problems of the day. Jehovah's Witnesses, who are not Christians, have a similar perspective, which is why you don't see Jehovah's Witnesses getting involved in public life. Ever think about that? I don't know any who are involved. In attempting to justify their position, those who embrace this view will quote a biblical passage like 2 Corinthians 6.15, which says, What accord is there between Christ and Belial? What common lot between believer and unbeliever? Their attitude is, forget about the world because the world is going to you-know-where in a handbasket and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, the Catholic Church says exactly the opposite, as that quote from the Catechism indicates, the quote I read to you a few moments ago. 
The Church says that lay people are called by God to be leavened for positive change in every dimension of our culture. To paraphrase Jesus in John chapter 17, Christian lay people are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, the attitude of some Christians is, well, we would never seek employment in radio or television or journalism because the media and the secular press are so anti-Christian. The Catholic Church responds to that by saying, that's exactly the reason for you to get involved. How are things ever going to change for the better? We need, we need good Catholics, good Catholic lights in Hollywood and in television and in radio and the secular press, precisely because there isn't a lot of light in those places at the present time. Remember, light only makes a difference where there isn't any. But why should we do this? Why should we make this effort to be salt and light when it's so difficult? Well, very simply because our own salvation is at stake, as well as the salvation of a lot of other people. When Jesus talks here about salt losing its taste and being thrown out and trampled underfoot, he's warning us that if we don't take this message seriously, we put our eternal salvation in jeopardy. And the final line of the text makes it clear that other people may not get to heaven if we fail them in this regard as well. Jesus said, Your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your heavenly Father. Those words of Jesus bring to mind Jill Gatchon. Some of you have been around long enough to remember Jill. Jill lost her only brother when he was murdered at 19 years of age. He was a good friend of Father Najim's growing up. And then Jill was diagnosed two years later with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was during her senior year of high school. She died tragically one week after graduation. This was in the mid-1990s. But before Jill experienced, but before her death, Jill experienced a conversion to Christ happened at a Steubenville Youth Conference really a couple of years before her death. And that faith burned brightly in her heart throughout her illness, so much so that it converted her stepfather. Your light must shine before others. He could sense the peace and strength that Jill had through her faith, through the sacraments of the Church. He knew it was real, he knew she wasn't faking it, and it changed his life. He perceived that she had something special on the inside of her, in her heart, and he wanted that grace for himself. Cancer is unquestionably a horrible form of darkness, as some of us know by experience. Yours truly among them. But you see, that's precisely why Jill's witness was so powerful. Light makes a difference where there isn't any. Her light made a visible difference precisely because she was living in the darkness of a terminal illness. And that changed her stepfather, who was eventually baptized and received into the church. So let's resolve tonight, my brothers and sisters, not to be like those Christians who complain about how hard it is to be light and salt. Let's resolve tonight by the grace of God to be light and to be salt, and to help change the world, or at least our 
ਮਿੱਤਰੋ ਪਾਸ਼ਣਾ ਦੇ